you're up at 3,000, I think 3,100 meters. Either side of me, the sheer 1,000 meter drop, and there's a helicopter hovering beside me. And that was, I, I feared so much for something going wrong there, but I survived, thankfully. On the way back, I think we were maybe less than 4K from the finish, and we were past my grandparents' house, and I just stopped, got off, and got my granda to leave me up the road. That was it. Fed up. That was it? That was it. Started off well, the course was, I think it was about 12k or so, and I went up Sleeve Donard and cut across to Sleeve Kamala, and to the top of Sleeve Donard, I was in the top 15, and I thought, Jesus, this here's going unbelievable, like, what am I doing up here? But after the Euros, it was like, I stepped up a level, I stepped up a level, and that was just, you know, a lot of people looked at me in a different light, and it made me a lot more confident the right, that, you know, definitely, that's where I belong, and, I want to be, I want to get, go even further. If you look at the Athletics Ireland carding system, uh, it says for any athlete that finishes top six in a European or World Championship, they're automatically given 25,000 euro funding for the next year. I don't get that. Welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. My name is Anthony Walsh and six days a week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you on your journey towards health, happiness and longevity. Now let's get into the show. It's episode 616 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. Today I sit down and chat with Zach Hanna. Time for a little bit of business. Today's show is sponsored by Stages Cycling. Upgrading from a turbo trainer was an absolute game changer for me. No more constantly swapping bikes onto the trainer. Your indoor training setup is just there. It's ready for your session when you are. I remember years ago seeing a clip on YouTube of Floyd Landis and he had a proper indoor training setup. I remember thinking to myself, if I had that, it looks friction free. I'd ride like seven hours a day. Now, I've been using the Stages SB20 smart bike, and I have to say, it's really realistic and it's an immersive cycling experience. You can customize absolutely everything. You can even select the drivetrain to match your outdoor bike. I'm rocking Shimano. It's really comfortable. I've customized the fit to my exact spec out on the road. It has the Stages dual-sided power meter, configurable shifting, sprint buttons. The frame is so stiff and durable. It's rock solid when I'm sprinting. I've paired this up with Zwift, but it's compatible with loads of other apps like China Road and Ruby. And a feature I'm loving at the moment is, it's pretty simple, but it has the USB ports in the back so you can charge your phone and iPad as you go. If you want to get your hands on one of these, which I thoroughly recommend, head on over to stagescycling.com and use the checkout code ROADMANSB20 at checkout for an additional 5% off. That's called Roadman SB20 at checkout for an additional 5% off. I'm going to throw all those details below in today's show notes. Roadman, welcome back to another episode of the Roadman Cyclone Podcast. This one is quite close to home and it's one of those really brilliant success stories. Zach Hanna is joining me on today's podcast. Zach is someone who raced domestically in Ireland and by his own admission had limited success. He was working hard, he was doing everything, but it was just like pushing a square peg into a round hole. It wasn't happening for Zach, it wasn't clicking. Maybe he just wasn't destined to be a cyclist. Someone said to him one day, maybe you should try mountain running. And years of hard work in cycling had got him very limited success on the bike. He went to mountain running and it just clicked straight away. Square peg, square hole. 
In a very short space of time, Zach has established himself as one of the very best mountain runners in the world. This episode is recorded before the Mountain Running World Championships, but I want to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. Zach finished fifth in the world, an absolutely fantastic achievement. So he's a humble kid, he's a local kid, but make no mistake, he is one of the finest athletes in the world at the moment. Let me please welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast, the amazing Zach Hanna. Zach, welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. All right, Anthony, thanks for having me. Looking forward to having a chat. Yeah, you're on the way to the, is it World Championships or is it Europeans? World Championships, yeah, in Thailand. In Thailand, and we were just talking off air to see if uh, I should have a little bit of a punt down on Paddy Power on you hitting a podium. I don't know. You could try, as I say, you could try it, but it's whether they probably look at you and say, "Who? what are you sniffing or what? What sport are you talking about? If you try bet on cycling, anything outside the Tour de France, it's just like, I think they do Paris-Roubaix, but Paris-Roubaix and Tour de France and that's it. Aye. No, I say the Tour de France, like, they probably wouldn't have a clue. The Tour's like the main one, isn't it? Uh, Zach, let's rewind. You're a bike rider of, I'm going to respectfully say, modest talents. And now you are a mountain runner of quite exceptional talents. So let's take me back to the life before... Zach Hanna was international mountain runner extraordinaire to when Zach Hanna was more of a, more of a, how do I put it nicely, more of a run-of-the-mill journeyman, age three, category three on the road. What was the catalyst for you quitting cycling to try your hand at running? I think more or less I'd, I've always grown up as a competitive sort of fella and um, when I was racing the bikes, I was always optimistic. I've always been a glass half full sort of fella. So I always went in every race, you know, this could be the one, you know, always optimistic of doing something. And I just <laughs> never seemed to, never seemed to roll off. And I just got to the point that I've been out of 11 years and I'd done everything road, cross, mountain biking, XE mountain biking. And I think it was just the winter of 2015, I really took a battering both physically and mentally in the cyclocross. Well, I wouldn't say mentally, it was more the bike kept breaking on me. I think I went through about six rear derailleurs in about the space of a month because the muck just churned up the bike and just broke everything and just completely got fed up with it. And it sort of became mentally, I wasn't wanting to go out in the bike, just completely losing interest. And I think the last time I sat on the bike was my club's Christmas run. Usually they had an A and a B run, which A run's obviously the quicker run. I think I had done the B run when I went down to this local pub for all well, some boys went for a few pints. On the way back, I think we were maybe less than 4K from the finish. And we were past my grandparents' house. And I just stopped, got off and got my grandma to leave me up the road. That was it. Fed up. That was it? That was it. And all I said at the time, that was it. And I sort of thought, right, I'll take two weeks off the bike here, see if we can sort of get the mojo back, get the motivation going again. But it never happened. Within that two weeks, I started doing a bit of running. And then it was through the recommendation of people who I cycled with, who were also keen mountain runners, had recommended me to try it. Bought a pair of shoes for Christmas and never looked back. But like with the cycling stuff, I chat to a lot of people who are trying to get into cycling and 
Most people listening to the podcast will have heard the story, I'm sure you've heard it, Zach, of the guy who stopped digging two inches from gold. And you have this image of a lad who's dug this absolutely huge hole through the center of the earth and he's two inches from striking gold and he decides to quit. And I think too many people do quit sport. Sport's not easy. Like very rarely do we hear the stories like you and mountain running where you hit the ground and you're instantly just naturally good at this. But most people go into a sport and I know for me, I started out in category three and everyone thinks I was this whirlwind up through the category straight away. But I was pretty shit when I started. And it was four or five years until I actually quit soccer and focused fully on cycling. That I, then I went from category three to category one and I went through the ranks fast and then winning category one races pretty fast. But I was a long time where I could have went either way in cycling. And so many people are like that where they throw the towel in too early, but you gave 11 seasons. It's hard for anyone to level that criticism at you that you quit cycling too early. I don't think we were looking at the next Matthew van der Poel, but does that hit your confidence going into another sport? Do you kind of start to think... You know, it, there's this uh, idea called the hot hand fallacy in cards, if you've ever played poker, and that if you win one hand of poker, you somehow think that it's changed your odds to win the next hand of poker, when in fact, statistically, it hasn't changed your odds at all. I definitely had the hot hand fallacy. I was a good footballer when I came into cycling. I was just, I had a bit of a swagger about me thinking, no, I'm going to be good at this because I'm sporty. Was that hitting your ego going from cycling where you know, let's call a spade a spade. You failed at cycling. Were you going into running thinking, I'm not a good athlete? It was, I wasn't, to be honest with you, when I started running, the comp- competitive side of things never occurred to me. I never went into thinking, oh, I'm going to do these races and whatnot. I was only purely going in just for the fun. And when I look back at the 11 seasons I had on the bikes, like as a youth and junior rider, like I did have, I had podiums and medals and wins and mountain biking at Irish Championships and everything, but just when I hit junior under 23, that just never happened for me. And when I moved across the run, and that was a case of, right, we'll see how this goes. And I think I had tried a few local races, just local 10Ks, like sort of around the trails. And I think I was around if the British Fell Rolling Championships had was taking place in Newcastle, not far from me in the moors. And I had entered it as a young and experienced runner hadn't a clue so I went around the, went around the course a few times and started off well the course was I think it was about 12k or so and I went up sleeve Donard and cut across to sleeve Kamala and to the top of sleeve Donard I was in the top 15 and I thought Jesus this here's going unbelievable like what am I doing up here and after that was maybe 35 40 minutes to run to the top and then that's when things went backwards uh my lack of running base completely just took over and i ended up finishing like 120th but it, there was enough of a glimpse of a performance to get you hooked to move on to the next one. Oh, definitely being up there at the front on the hill up up sleeve daughter was just i thought this was brilliant i thought right came back and it didn't dent my confidence or anything it just made me think right i need to work harder here i need to put the head down and get on with it and then I started training. Well, I wouldn't say I started training hard. I just started going to club sessions and getting advice off the more experienced runners and just taking it to sort of doing my own thing. wasn't really no structure to what I was doing, you know? But it's funny how moments like that can motivate us, though. I have 
one moment that used to motivate me over and over. It's the final stage of Ross Moon in, for anyone non-Irish listening, it's an Easter stage race. It's kind of our blue ribbon events for the year. And there's the final stage goes up through a little town and there's a, a little 100, 200 meter climb up through the town. There's laps of it. And it's always jammed with crowds on both sides of the roads. There's an announcer. That moment of just being in the break and being at the front through that section, like that's pulled me through some long winter spins, some cold, lonely evenings on the turbo trainer. Just that feel, it, it's indescribable in words. It's a feeling of being at the front of a race. Did you get a glimpse of that the first time you went up and I was like, I need more of this. It's a drug and I've never tasted it before. Give me more of it. Oh, big time. Because whenever, like, I'm a, I'm a wild man. Whenever I'm going in the race, I like to do, I sort of go and look back at recent results from that race and see who the top men would be. So I was finding the results from the, from the past and looking up these top fellas and looking at what they had done and, like, how good they were. And, like, these were the best in Britain. And whenever I was up there and then I think I was, whenever I got the top in Deb Denya with Deborah to, so I was a checkpoint, and someone said, you're in the top 15. And I was like, whoa. I shouldn't be here. You know, but then <laughs> that got the tail up a wee bit and I took off down sleeve Donner towards uh, the bog of Donner, like a bat out of hell. And then because I had, I'd only been at running, what I think I'd only been at three months, running downhill was still new to me. Running downhill over the rough ground, had a few falls, fell, went myself, just kept getting up and going ahead. And then as I got going, then the, the running, the actual running started to come in. I had to run fast, didn't have the speed didn't have any engine to go with it and then everything went backwards all everyone just came past me but as I say across the line it didn't most like a lot of people says oh you should have went home and just quit but no I I went home and the next day I was back out around the same course again trying to see where I went wrong you know but there's a serious technique to running downhill. I'd run occasionally during the winter or on a rest day and I have a local cliff near the house and it's maybe six kilometers up one side of it. It's really beautiful, spectacular. I must get you down to run it sometime. Spectacular run along the cliff's edge. Great view out over Dublin Bay. But then you have to run down the far side of it and like, fuck me if I haven't fallen 40 or 50 times on that descent running down the far side. Is that something that takes long to get that skill? There's people who are born with it, and there's people who just have to, to just have to learn it. Like I've been a ladder. Like a lot of people have told me that it takes you four or five years to actually become good at running downhill. I'm still trying to get good at running downhill, but whenever it comes to the the sense of they're maybe not as technical and not as steep, I can hold my own. But when you get really rocky and steep, that's whenever I have to pull back. But in terms of going uphill. Any sort of ground, I can I can get up at no problem. But yeah, running downhill is sort of it's not a weakness. It's just something I'm not as good at compared to others. But when you go over to the continent, like the the boys who can run downhill are just it's death to find some some of the stuff to do. And some of the races I've done, I done a race in the Dolomites last July, and it's the only race I've ever done where I've actually feared for my life going down the hill because you're up at three thousand, think three thousand one hundred meters. Either side of me, there's a sheer thousand meter drop, and there's a helicopter hovering beside me, and that was I, I feared so much for something going wrong there, but I survived thankfully. And when did the breakthrough moment come, where you're gone from I'm really enjoying this, I'm getting good at this, you know, to hold on, I could be really, really good at this. I may just be one of the very best in the world at this, or is that dime drop for you? 
when it, I would say the moment whenever I started to want to take it seriously would have been maybe 20. It was, I was only in the run in six months. I had ran Snowden International Race in Wales for Northern Ireland and on the way home in the boat, the Republic of Ireland team was on it too. So they were all saying to me, because I had finished 14th in that race, they had said you should come down to Wicklow and try the, the trial race for the Irish team for the Worlds. So I had that convinced myself, so I said, right, I'll go down. So I went down to, to uh, Cromwood. I was more or less the race was from Cronwood to the top of Joyce. Standing the line, looking at these boys who I knew were had been on the Irish teams before and were quality runners and ended up winning the trial by like ninety seconds or two minutes. That got me a trip to Bulgaria for the world my first world championships and I got an absolute hiding there. I think it was seventy sixth. Like I mean I when I say I got I, I was assaulted there the how badly I got there, like I was thinking, it was 20 25 minutes behind the winner. And when you looked, uh, looked at that, came back from that, motivated to get better. That's when I met my coach, started getting coached by him. And then I think it was 20, I think it would have been 2017. There's a local race up in the county down the Slave Dard race up and down the highest mountain in Northern Ireland. And I'd finished third in that in 2016, and I'd actually won it in 2017 by quite a big margin. And that was sort of right. The, the runners I had beat that day were had been placed in European Championships and stuff, and that was like, right, I need to really put the head down here and try and make something of myself in running. HVMN is one of today's show sponsors. I've been hearing pro riders talking about ketones since I started this show. How they're the secret weapon of the world's elite, but what are they? Well, ketones are a natural source of fuel for your body. They're up to 28% more efficient than glucose, making them a super efficient fuel source for those long rides or races. HVMN have developed a product called Ketone IQ, which is a drinkable ketone designed to support energy, focus, and endurance. It was developed alongside the US military. It's designed to elevate your ketone levels for up to four hours, which is longer than any other product on the market. Plus it's caffeine free and it's compliant with the World Anti-Doping Agency guidelines. Ketone IQ shots are the best way to get your ketones in on the go. I think it's so amazing that we can now, as amateur cyclists, have access to ketones. For years, they've really only been available to professional athletes. But now us mere mortals can get all the benefits of using this superior fuel source. I'm also finding them great first thing in the morning. I'm taking one on an empty stomach as soon as I wake up. It suppresses hunger and it's improved my focus so I can get that deep podcast research in early in the morning. So go right now and visit HVMN dot com forward slash roadman cycling and use the code roadman 20 at checkout to save 20 percent if you're looking to up your game this coming season this is the edge you've been looking for folks so visit hvmn.com forward slash roadman cycling and use the code roadman 20 at checkout to save 20 percent on your order all the details of that offer are in today's show notes You mentioned you were coming back from uh, a race in Snowden on the boat with you were on the Northern Ireland team and the Republic of Ireland team were there as well. That's it's even strange for me hearing that because in cycling we have an Irish team, we don't have a Northern Ireland team and a Republic of Ireland team. And you know, for our international listeners, there's obviously Ireland is a quite a complex political setup between South, which is Ireland, and then the North, which is governed by the UK. Is 
that's something you faced because I, I've seen a, a post on your social media where you were talking about how you're proud to be an Ulster man, but also proud to represent Ireland. Has it been difficult coming from cycling, which largely seems to cut through all sectarianism? Like I've never gone to Northern Ireland and felt anything but love as a bike rider. Uh, I've never felt like an outsider when I've went to Northern Ireland. I've only felt, come on up. I've even gone to ride the Ulster team time trial championships on a Southern team. We had the fastest time on the night. They gave us first prize, which was a cash prize, but we just didn't qualify for the medals. And I was like, how cool and inclusive is that? It's a sport that just cuts through political divisions brilliantly. But all sports aren't like that on our island, unfortunately. Was that a difficult transition to make? No, there's no sectarianism in running either. It was, it's the way the race is organised. Snowden is a, is a race where they have teams from England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, and, and as they call it, the Republic of Ireland. I've actually ran for both teams at that race, which to some people can be confusing because I think the organiser at one point did contact the Northern Ireland team manager asking how come I'm running for Ireland at the European Championships, but running for Northern Ireland two weeks later at Snowden. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a ladder had to be, how the, well, had to put a, a ladder together to explain that. But, um, no, as you say, there's not a lot in cycling either, which is fantastic. I never had any problems with coming across from cycling to running and then having to pick who to run for. You know, obviously, being from Northern Ireland, I can run for either Britain or Ireland, but running for Ireland was just going to be a natural choice. Like, it, running for Britain's never occurred to me. It's never, never crossed my mind. So, you know, I'm happy to run for Ireland wherever, whenever, and uh, I'll probably continue to do so. And so where did the need on your social media to come out and speak about this? Where did, where was that born from? Comments you were getting from online or comments from uh, like a particular community? Yeah, I was, uh, well, I would say there were people in you, people in knew well, who were coming out and having comments about me carrying the tricolor and calling me a Lundy. Anyone who knows her, I don't even know what that means. That's how out of the loop I am. Anyone who knows their Ulster loyalism history or whatever you call it, that they they know what I'm talking about. And it's just unnecessary. You know, it's small mindedness. It's just unnecessary. It's stuff that doesn't belong in sport. And I try to stay away from it as much as I can. But that post sort of just felt I had to nip it in the bud and just put an end to it. And I haven't had anything since, which thankfully is hopefully it stays that way. It's such a pointless distraction when you're a high performer and you're chasing podiums. You know, we, we started the conversation with saying, should I stick a few quid on Paddy Power on you to podium in the world championships? Like, there should be just love for that. Like, for an Irish person, for an Ulster person, like, from both communities going, we have one of the best athletes in the world. Everyone should be rallying behind that and it should be enough to cut through political divisions and for most people it is so it's like you say it's just a very very tiny minority still that have issue with it yeah no as I said I haven't had any bother since and stays that way I'd be happy but we're too small an island to fall out over such petty things in my opinion you know it's good like when you see athletes from any sport coming home as a European or world champion it just it's good it motivates you it should motivate anyone because then you can see that like the Irish always go into competitions as sort of underdogs and nearly look down upon. But whenever they deliver the goods and come back with medals, it shows you we, you we can compete with the best in the world. And that myself, I'm trying to, I want to I do that. I want to be able to compete with the best in the world. And 
like there's no need for any hate. But like there's something in the water over here. It's like you look at, I've spent a lot of time traveling around the world and in Canada, you look at how small we are. Like if it fits into a corner in America or a corner in Canada, we're a, fr- we're a, we're a town. Ireland is a small town in the US, but yet the athletes we produce totally, like imagine there was one tiny town in the US who produced, what did the girls pull from the recent championships in boxing? Like absolute domination Kelly Harrington coming back as world champion another four or five of them in the medals it's astonishing feats of athleticism from such a small population it reminds me of like the East Africans domination like the long distance running I know I love seeing that because you see the boxing like I know Ireland and boxing goes a long way back to like Barry McGuigan and whatnot and then you look at Carl Front and uh, Michael Conlon and all what they've achieved to come from here is just nothing short of extraordinary and it just shows you whenever you, despite you know some sports have less resources than others, if you've got the motivation, you've got the drive, and you've the backing behind you, you can go on and do anything. That's my opinion. You're very high performance now. One of the you know the one percent of the one percent of mountain runners in the world. What lessons have you learned as a mountain runner now that you wish you knew as a cyclist? How to? Well, uh, that's a difficult one now to answer because. I, when I started running, I thought, you know, there's going to be an easy, easy switch here because cycling and running, they are similar. But I soon learned that there is a huge difference between the two sports. Uh, I would say how to train properly as a cyclist because I was coached for a year by Ronan McLaughlin and Stephen Gallagher. And I learned a lot in that year. That was actually the year before I had quit. And I, I had learned a lot in that year. But you see, before that, I was just going out and like I was doing the intervals, doing the, the basics. But there probably was a lot of things that was lacking in my training. And if I'd have known what I know now back then, who knows what way I would have turned out. What is it? Is it the, you know, the fine-tuning of sessions using heart rate or pace? Is it altitude training protocols? Is it dietary? Or is it a little bit of all of those? I think just a little bit of everything, um, because whenever I never really got to do full like up to full senior level in cycling. Uh, whenever I was younger, you obviously you're restrict, you're sort of limited to what mileage you do just to stop you from burning out too too soon. And I think it was just the case of it was my dad was looking after me. Like I always when I train with my dad on the at the weekends, and uh, yeah, he was just using the knowledge that he had gained from others, but. Perhaps maybe just a bit of more professional guidance when I was a youngster. Might have thrown your dad under the bus here. Or... No, definitely not throwing him under the bus. <laughs> under the bus. He got me into the sport. He he took me all over Ireland, uh, racing youth championships. Like the crack we had. Like I was very lucky that whenever I was growing up, I had really good training partners in you know Mark Downey, Matty Taggart, and I went out when I trained and went out with spins with Sean Downey, and you know. When you're growing up around boys like that and you see how good they were and then you're sitting back and thinking, I'm not, I'm nowhere near them. You sort of, at times you think, what am I doing wrong? But at the same time, you never regret going out with them boys and letting them give you a hiding because, you know, obviously it's going to stand you in good stead in the long run. If you went back into cycling now with the new knowledge you've acquired, with the new work ethic you've acquired, do you think you'd have a different outcome? Perhaps it's a 50 50 one there. You know, it's kind of hard to say, very, very hard to say. Like, and I still, I still follow the cycling now, and it's amazing how much the sports changed since 
I did quit. But there's a lot of things I could probably take from running back to cycling, which would be interesting to try. But very interesting to try and see what would come of it. How does talk me through what nutrition looks like? Say you're fifth place in the European Mountain Running Championships. What distance is that firstly? And then what does nutrition look like on race day for you? Well, that race itself was 8K uphill with 1,000 metres of climbing. And I think I raced for maybe 45 minutes. So nutrition during the race was no problem. I didn't actually need to take anything. From what I remember, the morning of the race, we started at 10.30 a.m. So I was up, at I had breakfast at 7. And that was taken over the course of half an hour, 45 minutes. You know, you had, when I had fruit, coffee, maybe three or four, different, three or four coffees. I was quite tired that morning. And... A lot of fruit and uh, thank God scr- scrambled eggs, just all your basics. A lot of stuff that nothing too heavy, nothing too heavy. And uh, anyone who knows me, I'm a big fan of Nutella, so Nutella had to be included <laughs> in there. And then once I had my breakfast, it was just uh, nibbling on bananas and some small breakfast bars. And I think just sipping on a, a carbohydrate drink for maybe the three, just driving to the race. And then when I got into the call room, still drinking away up plenty of water. I think five minutes before the start, took a gel, and that was it. I think I took water on it halfway during the race, and bar that, there's nothing was taken during the race because it was just too short to justify taking anything. And is there a pacing strategy in that, or is you going out and riding it like a time trial? Well, I was, we were lucky enough in the week leading into the race, um, before we went into the race hotel, a few of us had arrived out like a week before the race and we had managed to get a, an Airbnb on the course just at the start line. So we were lucky. I was able to see the first kilometre and a half of the course. And I had run it twice before we went into the hotel and I sort of looked at the race profile online and I'd studied it and I sort of knew, right, it's, it's a very fast runnable uphill course, which you don't often get at these championships. And... Temperature wasn't too bad, so got onto the start line and I looked down the line who I was racing against. A lot of people who've sort of the last two years have been able to compete with and beat. And just when the gun went, I was right at the front. And after a few minutes, I thought, right, I might need to drop back here. But legs felt good, breathing was good, and I just said, you know what, screw it, I'm going out here. I'm going out hard. I'm not, I'm not stopping here until I blow. And I knew it was in good shape going into the race, so I had huge confidence in my ability to hold on and to fight for the possessions. And it was a bit, it was tactical as well because I had the really there was a couple of Spanish runners surrounding me, one who actually I hadn't raced before, so he was very he looked very springy. I had to really keep an eye on him, and he just pipped me in the line because the last two hundred meters I was just too narrow to pass anyone. If I had tried to overtake, I would have fallen down the cliff. <laughs> so we had to kinda, you don't get that bike race today no you do not but that's one thing the cycling has really taught me how to made me tactically aware of how to read a race that's one thing I can take away from cycling what's the start like is it a criterium like chaos in the start with lads stumbling over each other and jostling for a position yeah that's exactly what it's like the Europeans in particular was just like that it's like cyclocross going off the line yeah and because I was the only Irish runner in that race I was on my own I had no team I was, they always put the, the countries of full teams first on the grid. So I was stuck at the back. So I was like, not a chance. So I elbows out, you know, boys let me through. Thankfully, when you know people, they'll always let you through. You know, when people like sort of, there's a respect thing, you know, if they see you come and you ask, can you squeeze through, they'll let you. So I got myself on to the very front, 
probably shouldn't have been there according to the organizers but couldn't care less I wasn't been stuck at the back is that a sea change now because now you've proven that you're part of this elite club at the front of the races will that be like a social credit that you can cash in in future races and kind of guys will go ah he belongs at the front of the race let him through it is it is and it isn't uh when I started it was kind of hard to you didn't because you didn't know anyone it was hard to sort of get by and get entries to the races and as you say get onto the start line and stuff but yeah, it did change. A lot of people sort of started to recognise me a bit more. Who they, they recognised me before the race anyway, but after the Euros, it was like I stepped up a level. I stepped up a level, and that was just you know a lot of people looked at me in a different light, and it made me a lot more confident. That right, that, you know, definitely that's where I belong, and I want to be. I want to get go even further. And I know we we tried a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and the, the Northern Ireland internet connection wasn't playing ball with us. We were talking about briefly when we got cut off. What's the ecosystem like in running? In cycling, we have this tiered system of Conti, Pro Conti, World Tour. When you step into the professional ranks, you don't have a similar system to that in running. No, don't have that system in running. Um, basically, you can enter a race and there's no no tiers. Like you, there's no Cat 1, 2 or 3. Everyone's the same category. But there is that small pool of runners who will get themselves on the start line at the very front and everyone else just sort of knows like common courtesy right let them boys go on let them race even at the world cup races anyone can enter it's not just a certain like i know the cycle cross world cup it's all based on your world rankings it doesn't go like that in the world cup although in your world rankings it's like it decides whether you get a free entry you get accommodation paid for and whatnot but like Say if you started running and you were in a holiday in Italy and you say, oh, there's a mountain running World Cup race on, you can go and enter it. There's no no restrictions that way. So if you need an extra Irish runner, let me know. I, I could talk out for you. Come on ahead. More than welcome. <laughs> uh, so how are how are these guys and how are you funding this without it being, you know, it's I'm assuming they're full-time athletes, but it's like, at the same time, they're sitting in a weird space where they're full-time athletes, but not professional because there's no one paying them a wage. How are people making ends meet? There's some athletes in Mount Rollin who do make a wage from brands supporting them. And just because they're that good, they can do that. Um, myself, unfortunately, I'm not, I haven't managed to get over the line with a, a contract with anyone that allows me, that gives me a wage to actually call myself a professional cyclist. Professional cyclist. Wind your neck in. Professional runner. Um, I was lucky enough that whenever I bit the bullet and decided to quit work back in, I think it was May 2021, I had a few companies from around home who were keen to back me. And because I presented them with an idea and like a plan of where I wanted to be and where I wanted to go, they were keen to back that. And thankfully, it's been able to help me sustain I live in where I'm able to commit full time to running and I can head away on training camps. I can go to races without having to worry about taking time off work or anything. But as I say, it's, it's a champagne lifestyle and a lemonade budget. That's the best way I can, that's the best way to describe it. Like, and uh, <laughs> because mountain running is not an Olympic sport, I don't get any funding from Sport Ireland or Athletics Ireland. Take this for example, I finished fifth in the European Championships. If you look at the Athletics Ireland carding system. Uh, it says for any athlete that finishes top six in a European or World Championship, they're all given twenty five thousand euro funding for the next year. I don't get that. 
and access to the Institute of Sport, which gives you free physio, sports yeah. psychologist, strength conditioning, gym, nutritionist, everything. I get nothing like that. I get nothing. Luckily enough, I was I was lucky enough to actually get some funding this year through the Chris Smith Memorial Fund in Scotland there, who's actually a friend of mine who died in the mountains there a few years back. His family set up a fund and luckily I got some support through it. And I've recently gained support from the Mary Peters Trust up here in Northern Ireland, which has helped a lot too. But as I say, in terms of getting funded as an athlete through the governing bodies, I can't get anything like that, unfortunately. So what result do you need to make that jump? If you win the Worlds that you're heading off to at the moment, is that enough to get you the contract? Uh, I would like to think so. You know, a world champion, you can't really get any higher in the sport. <laughs> you like, don't get the contract then, you can pack you it in. You get the contract after that, you know, you're, I don't know what, what it would do. It's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a strange sport in a way that because it's not an Olympic sport, it's very hard for it to get the sponsors and get the support that it deserves. There has been pushes before to get it into the Olympics, but there's just not the there's just not the backing from the ones higher up to give it that final push. I could get rid of a couple of sports from the Olympics right now. There's some stupid, pointless sports in the Olympics. You look at them, you're like, that's not a sport. You're wasting everyone's time there. Like mountain running is a sport. No one's gonna deny that's a sport. Well, it's like you can have mountain biking and. To be honest, the courses in mountain biking, you could easily have a race, a mountain race, in that similar location. You look at Box Hill for London 2012, for the mountain biking was. I've run there before, and you could easily have a mountain race there, in my opinion. But they can have, they can exactly. have, they can have playing, playing the PlayStation in the Olympics, but they can't have mountain running. <laughs> Zach, best of luck, safe travels over to Taiwan. Keep me posted, let me know how you get on over there. I'm sure I'll see you on the RTA 61 News triumphantly with your hands in the air on a gold medal real soon and me cashing in my Paddy Power winner slip I'm holding you to that I hope that happens <laughs> Zach thanks for joining me buddy thanks Anthony cheers thank you for listening to today's podcast have you ever wondered how good you could actually be each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work family and social obligations but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com.